you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're at. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been diving into the book of Ephesians afresh. Uh, I don't know about you, but Ephesians, and I'm biased, I think, but Ephesians is one of my all-time favorite books uh, of at least around the book of Ephesians. Um, between like Galatians and Philippians, I think Ephesians is my favorite. And uh, <clears throat> it really is one of my favorite books. I think one of the reasons it's a favorite book, and I've been, I've been studying it now for almost 10 years or so, and one of the reasons I love this book is it's not a correction letter. It's like one of those times where uh, you recognize most of the time when Paul writes <clears throat> his letters, a lot of times he's dealing with the corrections, the issues of the particular church or the body he's dealing with. But Ephesians is one of the few books where it's like he's just leaning back just saying, well, let me just talk about the grandeur of the gospel. Let me just talk about the richness of Jesus Christ. Let me just let me just let me just spill out my heart and tell you about the grandeur of all this stuff. And it's just a phenomenal book in terms of just the exhortation of our position in Jesus Christ and all Jesus wants to do in us and through us in the world today. Uh, well, last week we began to look at this uh, introduction or this prologue or the salutation that is found in chapter one, verse one and two. And uh, let me just read this just so it's fresh. On our mind, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As a reminder, the book of Ephesians is split nicely down the middle. There are six chapters that at least we have given it. The first three chapters is all about position. It's all about your seated position in Jesus Christ. In other words, you're to stay seated in Jesus. You're never to, never to get up from that position. Hey, your spot is smack dab in the middle of Jesus. And you're to remain there forever and ever and ever. Amen. But while you are seated there, and, and this is like the theological section, there is activities that are coming out of your life, which is chapters 4 through 6. In other words, from my position in Jesus, there is a certain lifestyle or perspective or activities that are to come out of that. And this is the practical outflow of that then. And so chapters 4 through 6 is the practical, it's the doing kind of the section. It's, hey, here's my position, which is seated, and this is my walk-in response to that kind of an idea. And so obviously we're smack dab in the middle of this position, or at the very beginning of this position section. Uh, What I want to look today is at the second part of this salutation or this introduction. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As a quick review, last week we were looking at the fact that this letter was written by Paul. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's not, it's not something that he just chose. He, cho- he was chosen by the will of God. And he's writing to the saints who are at Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. And we were emphasizing this fact of the key words in that passage, verse 1, of the word of and the word in. And it's significant that Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And the reason being that word of is not just, well, yeah, I belong to him. The, the word of in the Greek has this idea of uh, ownership. It has this idea of sourcing, if you will. In other words, the source of Paul's life, the very essence, the energy, the, the engine, if you will, of his apostleship is not himself. He's not an apostle for Jesus Christ. 
he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That God himself is the source and the resource of his apostleship. Which is phenomenal if you realize. That this isn't Paul going off and doing things on his own. This is Paul saying, God, what do you want to do in and through me? And as Paul begins to live in this reality of Jesus Christ, he's an apostle of, not an apostle for. And I mentioned, wouldn't it be neat if we weren't just Christians for Jesus? Oh, isn't he lucky? But what if we were Christians of Jesus? In other words, the reason I'm a Christian is not so I can do a whole bunch of things for God. What if, what if it's all about this ownership and intimacy and relationship and allowing his spirit to flow in and through my life? Now, Paul is speaking, he says in the end of verse 1, to the saints in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And we talk about this idea that we're called to be set apart and holy, this idea of being a saint, and we're also called to be faithful. And I didn't mention this last week, but I think it's incredibly fascinating that both of, this, both of those words, the saints in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, they all have to deal with location. And I think it's, it's just fascinating to me that these aren't, hey, you're called to be a saint. All right, I want to go and join a monastery and seclude myself away from culture and, and hide away, and I'm going to try to be a saint. Oh. You realize that he's talking to the people who are living holy lives. They are, they are Christians in the fullest sense in a location in a pagan city, in Asia Minor. You realize that your saintliness, which I know we don't use that word in evangelical circles typically, oh, you're a saint. Oh, congratulations. But that idea of being, that you're full of the life of Jesus Christ, that you are marked by holiness and being set apart, that that is actually in a location that's not secluded from the world, but actually smack dab in the middle of the world. As Jesus reminds us, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. You realize that my, my call of being a Christian is not in some secluded environment. It's to be a Christian in the middle of wherever I'm at. I think that's significant. And then he says, not only that, but faithful in Christ Jesus, that my faithfulness, so I was pondering this last night, that my spirituality, my, my Christian life is there in the physical, in the physical world. And yet my faithfulness, and how do you prove out faithfulness? Out in the physical but I'm faithful in Jesus, which is spiritual. Isn't that interesting? Think about that later. Anyway, so that was kind of a review of last week, that we are of and in Jesus Christ, which I think is just beautiful. Now, as we move to verse 2, again, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So where is the grace and peace coming from? Oh, it's from one single place. God himself. And I love how he ties in uh, the Father and the Son here in the passage. But it's from, our grace and peace is really from God himself. That word they're from, by the way, in the Greek is apo, which is all about origin. Uh, it can either refer to the material from which something is made or of the person from whom an action comes. So if I'm laughing, the laughing is coming from me. It's literally the source of the laughter is on the inside of me, which I love. Oh. So Eric is trying to laugh, but that's, that's, not, that's not coming from me. That's, like, that's his deal, right? Well, isn't it a fascinating thought that grace and peace is not something that God has on, the, on some shelf, and he goes, oh, I guess I'll give you some grace and peace, and he goes and grabs grace and peace and hands it to you. Grace and peace is coming from the insides of who he is. Why? Because he is the fullness of grace and peace. That he's not giving you something outside of himself. He's giving you himself. 
And then it's really clear as you get into the blessing section, which we're going to start in next week. But as you get into verse 3 down to verse 14, every single blessing that God has for you is not found on some shelf that God hands you a pill for. Every single blessing that God has for your life is found in Jesus Christ. And so if you have Jesus, you have every blessing you ever need. Isn't that awesome? That I don't have to go to God and say, God, I need peace. And I really didn't need peace at all. I really needed joy. Because if I go to God and say, God, I need peace, do you know what he's going to give me? He doesn't give me peace. He gives me Jesus, who becomes my peace. And what's amazing about that is if I really need a joy and not peace, Jesus is my joy. So I get peace and joy. In fact, there's a whole bunch of things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's all contained in the life of Jesus. So Paul is saying that, hey, I'm praying a blessing for you. Hey, I'm asking that God, from the insides of who he is, to give you grace and peace, which is not something that he has. It's who he is. That's amazing. So this greeting, grace and peace, is fascinating when you look at it. Uh, Paul uses that language, grace to you and peace, in every single one of his letters. In fact, he adds mercy uh, in his uh, pastoral epistles. But that idea of grace and peace, when you look at the culture of which Paul is writing, both of those words, grace and peace, were the common greetings of his day. Uh, if you were in the Greek-Roman world, you would meet somebody and you would say, hey, grace! <laughs> and that was like your, hey, hello, how are you doing? If you're in the Jewish world, you would always say, shalom, peace. So isn't it fascinating that Paul is using the language of his day, the common greetings of his day, and he puts them into his greeting? Now, it actually makes sense that he's using both the, the, both the Greek and the Jew greeting. And the reason being is the, the church in, in Asia Minor was full of both Jews and Greeks. But you recognize that though this is a common greeting of his day, Paul is layering depth of understanding into this thing. He's not just saying, hey, how are you? But there is a lot of spiritual oomph contained in that little passage. In this idea of grace and peace, which I want to walk through with you very quickly here. Uh, really quick, there is a subtle word order. Uh, it says grace to you and peace. Uh, I think there's, I think it's the NIV that says grace and peace to you, well, which is not actually what the Greek says. The Greek actually, the emphasis in the Greek is grace to you and peace. As if to say, you need the grace before you receive the peace, which I think is really significant. In other words, I will never experience the peace of God in my life without at first experiencing his grace. And I think that's kind of significant even in the word order of what Paul is mentioning here in the passage. Uh, but let's look at these. Grace, the word is charis in the Greek. It has this idea of favor and loving kindness exemplified. Now, it's used 154 times in the New Testament, 100 of which is exclusive to Paul. In other words, Paul just goes bonkers with this idea of grace. Just grace, 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 grace. Uh, and it's mainly used in Romans first and 2 Corinthians. But in Ephesians, that word grace is, shows up 12 times, which I just think is very exciting. <clears throat> and we need to remember that Jesus is the fullness of grace exemplified. But let me give you four aspects to this idea of grace and that Paul kind of enunciates through his writings. But as he's giving this blessing to the church in, in Asia Minor, you realize that it is just a common hello. Hey, hey, how are you? But there is spiritual understanding and depth of what Paul is articulating in this passage. Let me just give you four quick things about this idea of grace. Number one, grace is given freely and generously. But we must be willing to receive it. In other words, do you recognize that God is a God of grace? In fact, as, as we get down into <clears throat> uh, 
uh, I think it's verse 8, talking about the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. That word lavish has this idea of just to dump, just to be wasteful. Uh, the idea is, uh, here I have a cup of water, or a cup, and I go to Niagara Falls, and I put my cup underneath Niagara Falls to fill it up, which would be impossible, you recognize, with the force and all that kind of stuff. But for the sake of a cheesy pastor illustration, I put this cup under Niagara. Niagara and do you know, it doesn't take very long to fill that cup. And all this extra water is just exploding around. Yeah, that's that idea of grace. That God just lavishes his grace upon us. He doesn't just say, oh, you need some grace. Here you go. That how does God give grace? He just gives it abundantly, just generously, just lavishly, just dumps and pours it upon us. But the question really is not, is he giving grace? The question is, are we receiving it? Which means we must be open-handed. Isn't it interesting that here are the Pharisees who've been studying and memorizing the Old Testament ever since they were five years old, and Jesus, the fullness of the word, shows up in front of them. And he says, hey, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But everything you've been reading and studying and memorizing, they point to me, and they missed it. Why? We're not interested. Do you realize the same thing's true about God's grace? That God is lavishly pouring his grace upon us if you'll receive it. Which means I, I can't be closed down. I can't be gritting my teeth. I need to be open-handed and humble and say, God, I need your amazing grace. Which is why we sing it. Amazing grace. But he's dumping this thing, folks. That's awesome. Tell your faces. This is exciting. Uh, not only is God just dumping this thing, you realize that grace leads us unto salvation. I, uh, we're going to get here eventually, probably in a year or two. But in Ephesians 2.8, that's not really a joke either. <laughs> it's sad. Uh, but in Ephesians 2.8, Paul writes, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So that you had this idea that Jesus himself is our salvation, and it is by his work upon the cross that we are saved. But again, we must receive it. So here's this overwhelming grace, and Paul is pronouncing a blessing of grace upon the church in Asia Minor, and by extension, he's pronouncing a blessing of grace upon you. And you realize that he's articulating this idea of grace by saying, hey, God is lavishing this thing. He's just dumping it like a Niagara waterfall. He's just pouring this thing out. And hey, this grace leads us unto salvation. It is because of God's grace that we find salvation in Jesus Christ and his work upon the cross. Will you receive it? Hey, will you walk in that reality? Uh, number three, and grace isn't just there for salvation. You realize that grace is the empowerment of God to live godly in this ungodly world. And, and if you've ever been around, obviously if you're around here very often, we talk about grace all the time. And we talk about this fact that grace is not weak. It is the strength, the power of God in your life. How are we called to walk in freedom and victory and triumph? Well, let me tell you what I do. Um, I grip my teeth a lot, I take cold showers, and I flick over bands. That doesn't work. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Do you know the only way you can walk in the salvation and the triumph and the victory and the freedom of our Lord Jesus Christ? By his power and his strength. What do we call that? Grace. So you realize that as a Christian, I need the grace of God to be flowing in and through my life to be enabling me to live out the fullness of the Christian life as I'm called to live. 
that the way that God has designed this thing, the Christian life, is utterly, overwhelmingly impossible for you to live on your own. Praise the Lord. Because if somehow we could have figured it out on our own, in our own strength, and our own wisdom, how to live this thing, we become prideful. And the reality is, the best we can pull off is filthy rags. And so if I desire to live a holy, godly life, I'm going to have to have a holy, godly God come into my life and begin to do something in me. And his strength and his resource via the Holy Spirit is going to produce a triumph in our lives. And we live not in our own strength. We live by his grace, which is his strength, his resource, his wisdom, his sourcing in our life. That is how we are called to live in this world, by grace, through faith. And fourth, <clears throat> there's this idea in the word grace, which I think is so beautiful. But in the Greek, it gives this idea of a goodwill or a favorable attitude towards someone or something. Do you know what God's heart for you is? It's full of grace. He's dumping grace. Why? Because it's from the insides of who he is. But how does he see you? Oh, full of grace. Which is this idea of loving affection and tender-hearted kindness. And so, let me just give you a quick synopsis of how God sees you, if I may. You are the burn of his heart, the thought on his mind, the apple of his eye, the sparkle of his smile. God desires to lavish himself upon you, to be your substance and your source. He truly desires to be your everything, for you to build your life around and upon him. He demonstrates this graceful attitude toward you, that while you are yet a sinner, an enemy shaking your fist in God's face, Christ still died for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. He doesn't just want to save you. He wants to form his holy character and life within you. Where's that coming from? Oh, grace. Now, that is the, that's a neat blessing, by the way. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, would you just, would you just live in that? Hey, I, I, you in Asia Minor and you in America now, Hey, would you just experience the fullness of God's grace? Will you just sit there and just let him lavish this thing upon you? Hey, would you experience the salvation, the victory, the triumph, the, the resource of God Almighty in your life? Oh, would you experience his loving kindness upon you? Because he does love and care for you. And all of that is contained in this little blessing idea in verse 2. Now, Paul goes on and says, not only grace to you, but he says, peace Peace. Now, remember, I, I mentioned even just the word order in the Greek has this idea of grace to you, and because God's grace has been given to you, now you can experience peace. Uh, the peace word in Greek is erene, and it has this idea that uh, this, this word peace is linked to the concept of reconciliation. And so in reconciliation, the enmity between God and humanity is overcome, and peaceful relations are restored because of the cross of Christ. That there's this idea of, hey, that there's been restoration taking place. Why? In the peace. But it's fascinating. Again, Paul's picking up on this Hebrew concept here in terms of a greeting, which is this idea of shalom. Let me give you this idea of shalom from a uh, Hebrew-Jewish perspective. <clears throat> when I hear the word peace, oh, shalom, I immediately don't think of what the weather we have today. <laughs> this is abnormal, by the way. This is weird. Snow in May. Praise the Lord. Uh, I think peace, I suddenly think like the Caribbean. 
and I'm sitting on a lawn chair with a shade because I'd burn. <laughs> and I have a cup of like iced tea. I mean, I, grew, I mean, I lived for a whole season in the South, so maybe like sweet tea or lemonade or put them together, Arnold Palmer, right? And you're just sitting there, and the light breeze is blowing, and you're not doing anything except reading a book, and you can fall asleep, and nobody cares, and just, oh, peace. Which does sound great right now. <laughs> it sounds amazing. That's not this idea. Uh, peace, the idea of peace in Hebrew, this idea of shalom, has this idea of removing every enemy faction. That if you're going to experience peace, what does that look like? Well, we need to remove every enemy faction. That when the enemy is removed, suddenly there's peace. That, that's a part of this idea. And another piece of this is that it contains the idea of well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness, and completeness. Which should make sense to you because, hey, as we're walking around town and I see you and I say, hey, shalom. I'm not just saying, hey, peace. What I'm saying to you is, hey, that God will give you health, prosperity, security, soundness, and completeness. That's kind of the idea. Even to this day, if you go to Israel, you walk around, hey, shalom, shalom. It's, it's like hello and goodbye and hey, how are you and what's for dinner? I mean, it's all contained in this idea of shalom. So if you don't know any Hebrew and you go to Israel, just, just say shalom, you're good to go. Uh, but here's an interesting way of describing it. It's a freedom from inner distraction. It's an internal rest. And there's two points I'd like to make with this. Oh, looky here. Let me say this first. In Ephesians 2.14, which again we're going to get to, do you know where our peace comes from? Jesus himself is our peace. He doesn't give us peace. He becomes our peace because he's the prince of peace. So there's this beautiful idea that Jesus himself is our well-being, our health, our prosperity, our security, our soundness, and our completeness. And it is through being in him that we discover that he is purging every enemy faction from our life. This is not prosperity gospel, name it and claim it, nab it and grab it kind of stuff. We're not talking riches. If you have it, you can come give it to me. But we're not talking about that stuff, okay? We're talking about life. We're talking about freedom. We're talking about victory, which is, Paul uses the language, it's a superlative. It's the richness of his grace. It's the richness of his peace. Beautiful. But there's two ideas I want to give you really quick. Do you recognize that peace is not based on circumstance? The idea of shalom in the passage, this idea of eirene in the Greek, is not based on circumstance. Your circumstance may be chaotic, and you can have peace. Because your peace is not determined by your circumstance. Because it's an inside thing. Maybe one of the best examples of that is in Mark chapter 4, here is Jesus. He's on the Sea of Galilee. And in the mind of a Jew, this, the sea itself, the water, is, is a symbol of chaos and destruction and the abyss and all that kind of stuff. And so if you can imagine here the disciples, and they come upon the Sea of Galilee, and here's Jesus sleeping in the boat. And he's probably tired, obviously, because he's sleeping. And in the middle of this scene, the waves start to crash, and the wind is blowing, and it's getting chaotic. So they're on a place that is symbolic of chaos. And now in the actual physical realm, it is chaos. And here they are, they're, they're bailing the water, they're afraid that they're going to drown, and these, these guys grew up on the lake. And in the middle of this, they wake up Jesus, hey, wake up! Jesus, we are about to die, which makes no sense whatsoever when you logically think this through. If you actually believe that he is the king of the universe, the creator of all things, that he made that Sea of Galilee, and he is sleeping, chill out. Just Take a nap yourself. Just don't worry about it. If, if you go under, he's going under. <laughs> We're fine, right? 
And isn't it interesting that he gets up from the boat in Mark chapter 4, he looks at the chaos because it's chaotic, but it's also being the water, it's a picture of chaos. And he says, peace, be still. And the water settles. And you could say, I need that. Well, you don't have to say that. I'll say it. I need that. Because I don't know about your circumstances, and I don't know about your situations, and I don't know about your finances, and I don't know about your family, and I don't, I don't know about your boss, but I need peace. I have a great boss. His name is Jesus. And uh, I have another great boss, too. Her name's Leslie. Um, and I do like Eric, too, so I guess, I guess I'll, I'll claim him. But I don't know what your circumstance is, but you realize that you are called to have peace despite the chaos. Is that even possible? Now, what if God actually doesn't calm the storm around you? Can you still have peace? Apparently, because Jesus was sleeping in the middle of that chaos. And you are to be found in him, the Prince of Peace. So we have to remember that the peace that we're talking about is not circumstantial. Like, oh, I just, someone just gave me $1,000. Woo, I'm at peace. Oh, no, I just got in a wreck. I'm not at peace. No, we are called to actually live in peace every moment of every day despite the circumstance. That I can have joy and life and peace because it's found in a person. His name is Jesus. So would I allow Jesus to come via the Spirit of my life and just be my peace? That I cling to him for life and for godliness. That, that I hold tight to him saying, you are my peace. You are my joy. You are my life. Despite what's swirling on around me. Do you realize you can have that? Peace. And again, it's a byproduct of being in Jesus. See, I don't go after Jesus to receive peace. I go after Jesus to get Jesus. And in so doing, I receive peace. Which is why peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's just a byproduct. A healthy tree at a certain time of the year will produce fruit without a doubt. Have you ever seen a tree trying to produce fruit? They don't try to produce fruit, folks. It's just natural. I've never once been driving down the road and seen a tree going, ah, trying to produce fruit. Never once seen that. Why? Because trees don't do fruit. They bear fruit. It's just a natural response of the life within them. That the life-giving sap flows up into them, and they just can't help it but produce fruit. And you realize that one of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. That the byproduct of having the life of Christ in you is that you will experience peace. Which means if you're not experiencing inside peace, don't go after the peace. Go after the source, Jesus. Because he himself is our peace. I love what 2 Peter 1.3 is. Maybe my, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. I say that to all of them. But this really is one of my favorites. I quote this all the time. That in Jesus are all things that I need for life and for godliness. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of too many things outside of life and godliness that I might need. I can't think of anything. And where is life and godliness found? One place. His name is Jesus. So Paul is saying, hey, how are you? It's a salutation. It's an introduction. It's a prologue to this writing. 
And he is saying, he's using the common day language of the day, grace and peace, of, of the Greeks and, and the Jews, to say, hey, glad you're there. But you understand that the depth of what he's saying is, hey, would you experience the fullness of God's grace, and would you begin to experience, because of his grace, the peace of God in your life? In other words, would you let Jesus be the big deal? Hey, will you just go after him and let him just... So let me give you a couple questions. Uh, one other note. Did you know that this idea of grace and peace frames the entire book of Ephesians? He, he starts here in chapter 1, verse 2, with grace and peace. And he concludes chapter 6 by saying, grace and peace. Seems like it must be significant if he's bookending it. Just a thought. But let me ask you a couple questions. Are you fully embracing and experiencing God's amazing grace? Are you walking day by day by day by day in the power and the resource of the indwelling Holy Spirit? For it is God's grace that enables you to walk in victory. Have you experienced the peace of God? Not some mere emotion, but the sanctifying removal of every enemy faction, every twisted habit, every sinful thought and action in your life. Has Jesus become the fullness of peace in your life day by day by day by day, no matter the circumstance or the chaos that's swirling around you? So in short, is Jesus your everything? Have you built your life upon and around him? Or is it merely something that you declare with your lips but don't live with your life? Would you surrender afresh to the one from whom all grace and peace flow? For he is our grace and our peace. Are you experiencing that? Have you, are you walking in the reality of God's grace? Not just his salvific work upon your life, but his triumphing work day by day by day. That I'm called to live a Christian life. I'm called to walk in freedom and triumph and joy. How's that going to take place? I can't do it. Outside of him, I need his grace. Am I experiencing the peace of God despite my circumstance? Those crazy, sinful habits that just allure and just twist our lives? Am I allowing the peace of God to untwist and remove those enemy factions in my life? Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to experience that, Paul cries out. I want that for you too. Maybe walk in that reality. Well, uh, if you're going to join us next week, just a thought for some homework. Uh, we're going to get into the blessing section, which starts in verse 3 and goes down to verse 14. So if you want to join us for these studies, I encourage you to read the book of Ephesians every single week. Oh. Preferably every day, if you could. Only takes about 20 minutes. And then what I encourage you to do is take verses 3 through 14 and just begin to read it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the idea is I, I want you to become soaked and saturated in that passage. The idea of saturation is here's a sponge, and you take this sponge and you plunge it into a bucket of water. And you look at the sponge and you say, oh, that sponge is not just wet. That sponge is... Soaked, saturated, permeated, marinated with the water. Wouldn't that be neat if you were the sponge and you were plunged into this book, the water, and every aspect of your life was soaked, saturated, permeated, marinated with this, which is truth. That this isn't something you just picked up and, you know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away, you know, or, you know, I flick its pages to ward off demons. See, what if this book became something far more than that? What if this book became life? Because it points to the life. And what if I would soak and saturate in the book which 
would lead me to soak and saturate in the person. And what if I would just build my entire day? This isn't 15 minutes in the morning and check it off the day and, you know, go about my life. What if this was, what if I just began to live in this thing? And why don't you just take the first couple of verses and write on a note card and carry this thing around you and just, you know, when you're, when you're in a line or at, when you're at a red light, please pay attention. But, you know, if you're at a red light, you can just begin to read through it and just, just ponder it and pray over it and talk to the author and just soak and saturate yourself in the word. That's, hey, that's, that's, that's the Christian life, folks. So I encourage you to do that with that passage. And then if you want to go specifically deeper, uh, in verse 3, we're going to look at that next week. And we're going to primarily look at the three times the word blessing shows up in that passage. So if you want to study ahead of me, uh, I encourage you to do that. And then next week we'll be jumping into that. Well, let's just pray. Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are our grace and peace. It is from you where our grace and peace is found. And it's not merely a hello statement. I I realize that, Jesus. But the reality is what Paul is praying, what he's blessing the church in Asia Minor is that they would experience the fullness of who you are. That they would experience experience your salvation and your empowerment for life. That they would experience your loving kindness, which you've just dumped and lavished upon them. That they would walk in your peace. That that you would remove the enemy faction from their life. That that you would untwist the twistedness. That you would unpervert the perverse. That you would bring about a purity in the impurity. Lord, that that you would take the, just the enemy ransack upon the life. And that you would begin to restore and renew and bring about peace. That they would experience health and completeness and joy and an inner peace and calm and wholeness because of you. Lord, we need that. Man, our culture is so full of chaos right now. Hey, our our families are dealing with chaos. Hey, finances are chaotic. Hey, ministry is hard. But Lord, what would it look like to have peace in the midst of any circumstance? Wouldn't it be a phenomenal declaration? God, if you would somehow show forth your life through us despite the circumstance. And our life would become utterly inexplainable to the world around us when they see us living in hope and joy and freedom and triumph in Christ Jesus, even when everything is chaotic around us. I think we'd have to call those people Christians. So Lord, would you make us those? Let us not be Christian in name only. Let us be Christian in how we live, which is by your grace, resting in your peace. What an amazing reality. No wonder we call it amazing grace. We love you, Jesus. Just thank you for this time. We give you the praise and the glory. In the precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.